Hello and welcome to Inspiration Boulevard, the podcast where we talk about the brilliance and creativity that exists within the field of mental health. I'm your host, Alan Hyde, and today I have a special guest with me. Her name is Samantha Grimes, and she is a licensed therapist in California. So I'll go ahead and turn it over to you, Sam. Hi, Alan. Um, thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist uh, working out of Orange County. And uh, one of the things I specialize in is working with uh, young adults in recovery. Um, however, you know, I've worked with children, teens, families in the past and uh, actually look forward to working with a few couples. Nice. Nice. Well, you know, it's an honor to, to have you here for, you know, my first podcast, but, you know, just to give some background, you know, we, we go, we go way back and I, you know, I've, I've just always admired your work and, and appreciated how creative you are in the ways that you approach the work that you do with, with your clients and, and also with your coworkers. And I think it's stuff that, that people need to hear, you know, especially as uh, people are kind of these days looking for information on mental health. And, you know, I just, I guess uh, the, the important thing for, you know, bringing you on and bringing a friend on is, uh, you know, just kind of starting out this thing and, and hearing like, you know, uh, kind of a breakdown on what inspires you to do this work and, and to be creative in the things that you do in the mental health field. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's such a, a complicated answer, yet so simple. Um, you know, when it comes down to creativity, um, the creative process itself is what kind of drives me. I've always been kind of like, quote unquote, like a creative person. Um, like when I was a kid, I always wanted to be an actress. I always wanted to paint or scrapbook or do anything just creative with my, with my mind. I guess you could say I'm like pretty uh, right brained. Um, <laughs> and so I just, I took the things I loved and I integrated it into my practice and my work with clients because that's where I got some of my deeper revelations and I figure if it works for me, it'll work for others. And I just think creativity is where we can really start the healing process. Yeah, you know, and I, I, in the settings we've worked together in, I've always seen that side of you, you know, with the psychodrama work and, and getting people up and moving and, and getting them doing creative things where they're acting things out and getting to laugh and have a good time, but also do some really deep work. And, you know, I, I'm just, I'm curious, you know, just so we can fill in the people who are listening here, just kind of where you draw your inspiration from when you're doing those things. I know you mentioned like doing kind of some of the drama stuff in high school and, and being a creative. And I'm curious if you could just kind of fill us in on just where you're finding your inspiration. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, it started when I was younger and um, I was always doing like acting classes and I'm an overthinker and I think I'm kind of an anxious person in general. <laughs> and so anything that gets me out of my head and into my body, I'm all for because I could spin thoughts around my head a million miles a minute, right? So if I'm in my body, I have less time to think and things just start to come out and formulate and I wind up saying um, really vulnerable things, you know, without second guessing it um, or, you know, I, I'm, it allows me to take more risks. So when I started to do that, um, I actually took a couple of workshops when I was in college, um, you know, exploring, um, like a female sexuality or um, it was a group dynamics, things like that, just for fun, because I've always kind of been uh, like my friends 
therapist, like without the education, right? Like people just like spilled their thoughts to me, their secrets. Um, and so that was a, just kind of a natural blessing that people felt safe to share that kind of stuff with me. So kind of like the combination of like feeling like I had something to nourish, like a talent to nourish combined with, um, just kind of taking risks within my own life. It it just inspired me to, uh, you know, want to go a little bit further. And then my own struggles through, you know, mental health in college and dealing with anxiety and grief and loss um, just made me want to understand things so much more. You know, as I kind of hear that, right. I think you bring up a good point, right. A a lot of clinicians find their way into the field, right. Cause they're, they're kind of the person in their their system or in their their group of friends where they're kind of the ones that listen. They're the ones that people talk to. They're generally more open with their feelings. And I'm curious if, if you could highlight just kind of like in your own words, like what the difference is in that, like as you become a clinician, right, and transitioning away from just kind of being that friend that that active actively listens to actually becoming a professional in the field who you know, is inspired to do these things and where those differences lie and, and why it's beneficial to kind of allow the, you know, the professional you to take the seat. And I'm curious if, you know, you could put some words to that. Oh yeah. Like even as a professional now, there's times where like I turn on the friend hat versus the therapist hat because they're different. They're, they're two different listening styles. Um, you know, when you're talking with a friend or when you're listening to a friend's story, um, at least for me, like I'm constantly like reassuring them like, yeah, yeah. Or I'm taking my own stories and sharing it to highlight something or I'm giving advice. Whereas Mm -hmm. when I'm a therapist, um, it's, it's a lot about taking a step back and getting curious and looking at the questions, the bigger picture. So while I'm listening, I'm, I'm validating, I'm, you know, looking at what are some of the, the things that maybe the person that's talking isn't necessarily seeing like the connections that, you know, an outsider will be able to see, but an insider won't. So there's a lot of just like active work happening. Whereas with your, when you're with your friend, you know, it's about, you know, well, what would you do? And as a therapist, it's less about what would I do? And what your options are, you know, what, what would you do? (laughs) It's not about me. It's about you. Right. You know, I I always find that's like one of the funniest things is, you know, when I tell people and they ask me like what I do and we get into conversations about it, I I tell people like on day one, when I walked into my master's program, they had the word advice on a board with a circle around it and it was crossed out. Right. And I think, you know, you, you touch on such a wonderful point of like, you know, it's, it's one, on one hand, you could put the friend hat on and, and be there to offer wonderful advice. And I know I've been the recipient of that, you know, in, in our friendship and I've always, you know, benefited and valued that. Um, but you know, there, there really is this, um, this benefit in, in society of being able to, to connect with a therapist and have that third party uh, vibe, if you will, so that you can look at yourself, right? So that you can really sift through the things that are going on and get guidance, but not advice. Yeah. It's less of a back and forth, like where there's like mutual caretaking, right? It's just more of like allowing you, cause I know for, for me, when I'm the, the speaker, right. As the client per se, right. Like it's easy for me to like, you know, as a defense mechanism, like throw it to the other person or, you know, kind of misdirect when I'm feeling uncomfortable. Whereas the ther- a good therapist would make you sit in that discomfort and work through it and, and explore like why that's uncomfortable. And I don't necessarily do that to my friends. <laughs> yeah. You gotta pay me for that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a little uncomfortable. 
If you're a friend and you're uncomfortable, that's fine. Let's redirect. Let's go get some ice cream and, you know. Right. Yeah, I'm not here to help you uh, process the recesses of your mind. We're just no. here to get ice cream. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so have you ever uh, done the journey yourself and, and sat with a therapist and, and been inspired by that process? Yes and no. So yes, I've done it. And actually a lot of my early experiences with therapy weren't necessarily positive. Mm. Um, so it, at first it kind of threw me off of the path. Um, it wasn't until years down the line, um, where I met some actual, you know, uh, really powerful and very effective therapists that, um, I changed my mind about therapy. When I was in college, um, I was 21 when my younger brother died, and um, it was such a huge blow to my family, and shortly after that happened, um, I started experiencing panic attacks, and these panic attacks were frequent and overwhelming. I had no idea. They were terrifying, and so it was the first time where... I sat in front of someone and I, I was talking about my panic attacks and, um, you know, they went straight into problem solving mode and they didn't explore the roots. They didn't even acknowledge the loss that had just happened. And so I was really put off by that and I, I felt like they didn't really understand me. So I did that for a while. Um, and then, you know, kind of gave up on that. And then, um, I started seeing another therapist again when I was in a, a relationship with someone who was addicted, um, to drugs. And that, you know, I wanted to learn more about that element, that relationship, that self-destructive kind of path and codependency and how it was impacting me and how I felt like um, it was taking pieces of me and I didn't know how to speak up or, or say these things. And I just felt so heavily impacted by it. And that was, that was an okay experience. But, you know, as I, as I moved through it, I kept trying. And so I kept visiting therapists thinking, you know, I know this is my path. I just need to find the right one. I kept hearing from other professionals saying, keep trying, keep trying. It's all about, you know, finding the right fit. And eventually I found the right fit and was able to kind of explore that relationship with loss and, and panic attacks and um, actually helped me go into remission from panic attacks for quite some time for several years. Yeah. You know, and <clears throat> What a, what a day and age, right? Where you've got to, you've got to really search for the right fit. Like not every professional you walk in with and, and sit down with is, is going to take the time uh, to, to be delicate and really explore with you what's going on. And I really appreciate that, that you highlight, right? Sometimes, you know, and I'll tell people too often, like sometimes when you go to see a therapist, if it, if it doesn't feel like a fit, don't, don't feel like you got to be stuck there. Go and go and look for someone else as long as you're being honest with yourself, as long as you're, you know, not just running from the situation, but you're having an honest conversation and maybe even tell the therapist like, hey, is there anything else we can try here? Or this isn't fitting right for mm -hmm. me. And, you know, I just I, I really appreciate that you highlighted that because, you know, I can only imagine during this time, especially as people are listening and probably experiencing panic attacks that sure. I would imagine there's a healthy level of anxiety because of the pandemic, but a lot of those things are rooted in, in such deeper hurts and pains. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
And, you know, it's one of those things that now I, I, I don't take personally, right? Like as a, as a professional now, because I know people are searching for their right fit and, you know, just like I was, and, you know, there's so many different styles out there, different, you know, that's what I love about, you know, like, you know, the way you do therapy, right? There's so many people that gravitate towards, you know, your humor or, you know, your bluntness or, or you know, your curiosity and, and things like that. And I, I think that, you know, there's a therapist out there for everyone. Um, you just have to find it. And like you said, be honest with yourself. You know, am I running because it's uncomfortable, the, the content, or am I running because it's just, the chemistry is not there and we're just not a good match and I'm not going to be able to be vulnerable if I don't trust this person? Yeah. You know, and, and, and that's where I really like to, you know, bring it down to the level of, of, you know, if you're a person looking for therapy, right? Like, ask the, you know, here's some questions you can ask. Like, hey, what's your policy on, um, you know, how many sessions you, you require before we decide this is a fit, right? Mm -hmm. Those are some things you can ask, like, just right off the bat, you know, like, what is your policy if I decide that this isn't fit, right? And, mm -hmm. and kind of being able to, to navigate that for yourself and know that that's okay and that, if a therapist has an issue with that, then um, I guess you have our seal of approval here, knowing that that's already a red flag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Break know. up. That's all right. <laughs> right, right, right. Break up with that therapist. Sounds yes. if they're not letting you walk out. Yeah, because that's, that's not how therapy should be. We should be holding our <laughs> clients hostage. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's, you know, it's, it's funny because it's like, it's part of why I want to do this, this podcast is let's, let's talk to the clinicians and the mental health professionals out here who are doing things the right way, you know, and, and that's the one thing over the years of knowing you um, that I just, you know, I can hang my hat on at the end of the day. If I refer a client in Sam's direction or, or we have a, a consultation about a case, I, I always know that, that Sam's doing things ethically. And I, I think there's a lot to be said about that. And, and that's also why I'm very curious as to where you're getting your info, information and what inspires you and what you're reading and, and what's keeping you up to date on everything. Cause I just, I admire your work. Thank you. That's, that's super kind of you. And you know, I feel the exact same way. There's, you know, there's people that you meet along the way that when you see the way they interact with people and, and you just kind of get to know them as people that you just know they're good clinicians and you've seen it in action and you know that they can help people. And, you know, there's a lot of people in this field for the wrong reasons mm -hmm. for, you know, trying to, you know, fix people or trying to, you know, solve their own pain through helping others and avoidance and all of that. Right. Or just money. I mean, which is not even, a right, you know, reason for a lot of people because we don't make a ton of money. But, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are in it for the wrong reasons. And when you find a clinician that's in there for the right reasons that wants to walk along, you know, someone as they, they trudge through the tread, you know, through the trenches, it's, that's when you know that true healing can occur. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I love that concept, right? Like trudge your way to happy destiny right? It's a recovery mm -hmm. concept and it's beautiful. You know, when you, when you really find someone who's, who's either been in the trenches or is willing to get in there with you, right? Not to do it for you, but to let you know that when you look over, I'm here and I'm not here just to collect a paycheck. Right. right. It's like, uh, you know, that, uh, therapist and private practice group, right. That you, mm -hmm. you know, it's yep. ejected, right. I, there's so many wonderful conversations on there, but every now and then there's these conversations where people are like, you know, all I want to do is make $300,000 this, this year. And it's just like, well, you know, you might be in the wrong <laughs> industry, yeah. you know, like, I'm not sure why we're talking about that on here, you know? 
exactly. And it's a, it's a good group, but you know, there's some things on there. Well, it's also a really large group too. So, you know, there, there's bound to be people, like we said, who are in it for the wrong reasons. And so when those conversations pop up, it's like, ah, not going to refer to you, uh, <laughs> scroll on. Um, but you know, it, it's actually funny. I've been listening to, um, Esther Perel's podcast. Um, and where should we begin? Oh my goodness. It is amazing to hear her work. Um, and now now we're talking, there's the inspiration right there. (laughs) Oh, she like, she's like my, my therapy idol. Um, you know, the way she, she talks to people and the observations that she makes and, um, she's very direct without being overbearing or controlling in the way that she, you know, guides clients to, um, certain little nuggets of truth. And so, um, I've been listening to that and I've been obsessed with it lately. Um, it's so good. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I just think that when you immerse yourself in something that you love, it lights you up. And so whether that's a book or a podcast or, um, do you happen to know the name of, of her podcast for those who are are listening who might be interested in looking her up? Yeah. It's called, where do we begin? Oh, okay. Where do we begin? Mm-hmm. And I think right now she has a new season um, coming up uh, about, around COVID. Um, but the one I'm, I'm listening to is about couples and it's couples of all kinds. So it's not just romantic couples. It's like um, uh, mother, daughter, there's, you know, husbands and wives, there's, you know, all sorts of different couples. And um, it's just fantastic to kind of get in the mind of other therapists too. Like I- I'm obsessed with therapy related things. So, uh, you know, her podcast is great. Um, Dax Shepard's armchair expert is amazing. Yeah. He's, he's not a therapist, but he might have- as well be. I fucking love that guy. Right. He's amazing. And especially like, you know, working, being someone who works in recovery and in the addiction field, it's really nice to, to kind of hear his perspective on things and the way he'll integrate his experience with sobriety into all different types of topics. Um, but he has therapists on, he has philosophers on and, um, I don't know. It's, it's all about human, the human experience and just exploring all the things that we as humans are trying to figure out (laughs) and whether or not we actually ever figure it out is one thing, but it's so entertaining. And and with, with a, with a podcast like Dak Shepard, right. Talk about someone who's just open about who he is. You know, it's, it's hard not to listen to things like that and be inspired, especially in, in today's day and age where people are, I think, craving, ways to be authentic right and and really to understand what that word is and i think before you know we get into like trying to define a concept like authentic i think we we have wonderful examples of you know not just clinicians out there and mental health professionals but like jack shepherd who's a celebrity but has this Mm -hmm. podcast where he talks openly about his recovery and you know that's something i you know i'm passionate about right like let's break down this stigma right because we all turn to things you know and and really breaking down like, Hey, what, what hurt you that caused you to turn in that direction? And I think he's, he's beautifully open about it, you know? Yeah. And I, I love hearing that honesty because it, it, it inspires me to be more honest, like with myself. And, you know, I find myself listening to his podcast and, and nodding along and, and, you know, I think people crave intimacy and I think people crave authenticity and honesty and we just don't get enough of it. And so when we see someone modeling that, um, it's refreshing and we find ourselves gravitating towards it. At least I know I do. How often are you listening to these podcasts like on your way to work or mm-hmm. yep, yeah. every day? 
Um, I have like about a 45 minute commute to work, sometimes like 30. And so I'll just, you know, move through Dak Shepherds. I'll move through Esther Perel's um, podcasts. And um, yeah, it's just, it gives, it's my alone time to decompress and uh, just kind of follow someone else's story for a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know, and how important is that, right? Especially now to be taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And, and it's simple things like that, like listening to a podcast of a person that you really enjoy, right? You've, you've connected to that message and it's your alone time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I've learned that actually one of my biggest, biggest, most effective coping skill or at least self-care is uh, little mini dance parties. So oh. <laughs> taking, taking little dance parties, little dance breaks, listening to music again. I didn't realize that for a while when this COVID thing hit, I stopped listening to music because I wasn't mm -hmm. going into work. I was working from home. And, um, you know, one of the things that I truly love to do is go to, you know, live concerts. I love to, you know, so there was a lot of almost like a, an experience of grief around that. Like how, what's that going to look like from here on out? Yeah. And so I started listening to music again and it just, it gave me energy. It lit me up. And, you know, I just think that we, we need to tune into a lot of the things that, you know, work for us, that give us that energy that, you know, revitalize us, that make us feel creative and, right. and things like that. And so that was, that was a cool thing to reconnect with. Yeah. You know, that, that's something I would have never even thought of, right. You know, the, the lack of a commute and then all of a sudden we're not listening to music, right. Mm -hmm. the, the things that are outside of our control in the world right now. Yeah, yeah, and I didn't even realize how big of an impact that was until I started listening to music again and incorporating that again. And I was like, wow, like this really does help me. It impacts my mood in a, in a good way. Yeah, you know, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like, you know, as long as I've known you, you've been the, the concert crawler, right? The, the music yep. aficionado, you know, it's one of the things I've always appreciated about you. Yeah, and I had a whole like you know, summer full of concerts lined up that, you know, unfortunately due to current events, like have to be postponed. And like I said, it sounds, I don't want to minimize it. Right. But it, it sounded silly to me for a long time that like, I was feeling sad that, mm -hmm. you know, I couldn't have these experiences this year. And, um, you know, I felt really guilty for having those sad feelings until, you know, I just kind of sat with myself and said, why the guilt? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a feeling it's here, it's present. And, you know, it is what it is. And so I sat with it and next year there'll be tons of concerts to go to, but I think it's important to just kind of honor that, that grief that was showing up for me, even though it's not the heaviest of grief that a lot of other people are experiencing right now, it was still present for me. Yeah. You know, I, I still think it normalizes and opens up the conversation for, you know, it's okay that we're experiencing grief right now. If you're someone who's furloughed, or has lost your job entirely, or if you own a small business and COVID-19 has kind of uh, kicked it while it's down, you know, it's, it's a real unfortunate time, you know, and, and that's, you know, partly why like, you know, tuning into things like this or just connecting with therapists right now and, and people in your support networks is extremely important, you know, because I heard you say something really important, Sam, and that's when our emotions come up, learning to sit with them. And, you know, uh, I just, you know, I, I know that in my journey, that took me a long time to even figure out what the hell that meant, you know, and, and being like a bull in a china shop with my emotions as a dude, you know, it, it took a long time for me to figure out like, how do I sit still 
with this, this feeling that's been uh, haunting me for a long time. You know, and I think a lot of people are coming in contact with that these days because of the times, right? It's, it's a direct invitation in the world right now for the things that you can't control. And that just, I, you know, I don't know if you agree with this, but when it comes to Americans, I, I don't know many things that fuck with Americans more than you don't have control over this. Oh, yes. <laughs> We're seeing it play out every single day. And the anxiety, the anger, like there's so many reactions to this, this experience of not having control. Well, how do you, how do you handle it, right? Not just as a clinician, but as a, a wonderful human uh, who has a, you know, just wonderful people around, right? Just from an outside observation, right? How do you handle just kind of some of the things that are outside of our control right now with, with what's going on, but also just even before, you know, the pandemic, like how do you handle those kind of situations? Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of funny because I kind of have a little bit of a, a mantra that I use often, and it's actually from uh, Moulin Rouge. Uh, it says, come what may. <laughs> and, you know, when, when my brother died and, you know, I was going through all these experiences and it just felt like I was getting hit with one thing after another, and it felt like it was beating me down. At one point, I had to recognize that so many things were out of my control and I was trying so hard to control everything. I was trying to control my emotions. I was micromanaging my relationships. I was, I was trying to find some sense of power and I wasn't finding anything because so much of what really mattered wasn't in my control. So I, I wanted to get this tattooed on me and I haven't done it yet, but I want to, um, <laughs> but just come what may. I mean, it's, things are going to happen and I can only deal with them as they happen. And as, like I said, as an anxious person, my, my brain says, you know, if I worry about it enough, if I plan for worst case scenario, then I have control and I have to remind myself that I don't and that come what may. I'll be there to, you know, address it when it comes. And I've been using a lot of yoga lately to just kind of, bring myself again out of my head and into my body. So anything that I can do that kind of helps me let go of this attempt to control or, you know, attempt to have everything figured out. And so yoga has been really helpful to me. Um, I've been a terrible meditator, uh, but I've been trying to get back into it because I know how good I feel when I do it consistently. So, you know, and it's something that I, I teach a lot of the clients that I work with, how to, how to practice acceptance and flexibility and just kind of taking a step back and allowing things to just kind of flow through as opposed to getting stuck and going down the rabbit hole with it. Um, you know, that a lot of us tend to, tend to do. So music's been super helpful. Um, you know, and like I said, just kind of some powerful self-talk to say, you know, I can meet my own needs. I'm not in control of these things. However, there are things I am in control of, but I don't have to grip that so tight, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't have to hold on to those things I can control, like, you know, they're going to go away. I always can control, you know, if I carve out time for myself to do yoga. I always have control over how I speak to myself in these times, um, who I reach out to, you know, who I don't reach out to, um, all these kind of things. And so for me, that's been super powerful and grounding. Yeah. You know, th that's, that's a concept that <clears throat> I think early on in the field always fascinated me. You know, they... <clears throat> 
they always say, right, clinicians, like if you ask the lay public, right, clinicians found their way into the field because they're trying to resolve their own issues. Well, hey, you know what? I think that's partly true. And, and here's the deal. That's okay. Right. Yeah. So as, long as, you're, as long as you're taking care of yourself, that's the invitation that, that we also are giving you when you come in to do the work. But what fascinates me is that concept that you brought up, Sam, of like the things that are actually within our control. And, and I've read a lot of things on this, but I'm real curious as to like how you would define that, right? What, what's, what are the things that are within our control from your perspective when you're working with your clients? Yeah, I think we always have control over, like I said, um, like how we speak to ourselves how judgmental we can be of ourselves. Um, I feel like we're in control of um, who our community is, who, who our connections are, how we, how we think about um, ourselves, our situation. So adopting new perspectives, um, being open-minded is always a choice um, mm -hmm. or whether to, to stick to rigid thinking, you know, just being open to new perspective, new, new ways of looking at things. Um, you know, I, I think one of the, also one of the most powerful things that we can have control over is, uh, just as simple as our breath, how we breathe, how we breathe through things. Cause I know when I'm feeling out of control, the only thing I can control is how I breathe and how I bring myself down and how I comfort myself. So, you know, a lot of the things that I teach my clients is when you feel like shit has hit the fan, what's going on right in front of you that you can do to cultivate like safety and comfort? What can you do to let yourself know and your nervous system know that it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And we'll take this one small chunk at a time. Yeah. You know, that safety component, right? It's, it's kind of that, that cornerstone when we talk about acceptance or letting go, you know, I guess the, the, concept I always hold in my mind, even as I'm doing this work. And as you were saying that, it's like, I also got to make sure I'm safe, right? As I do these things. And, mm -hmm. and, and that's, that's, I guess, the unconscious invitation that we're all giving each other by entering into, you know, any work that we're doing with the mental health field, whether you're a therapist or support staff, right? Or, you know, a life coach out doing your own thing or a psychiatrist, right? Can we create and cultivate a, a level of safety that allows you to know that when we enter into this engagement, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not just going to leave you here. Right. But mm -hmm. during the week, you don't have to leave yourself. Yes. And that's huge. Right. I mean, there's so many ways in which we leave ourselves that we disassociate, that we pull away from our experience physically, mentally, you know, all sorts of ways. I think that's super powerful. Well, and you know, as I, as you were kind of breaking this down too, right. Of, you know, creating that safety and like, what's the thing that's right in front of you, right? If you had a client just kind of, you know, working with them and, and, or her right there, they're in your session and, and they're having a real hard time creating some of that safety. What are, what are some of the things and not to like put you on blast, like what are your interventions, but like, mm -hmm. what are some of the things you might do to, to help an individual navigate that? Like, you know, I, I know you mentioned like the mantras as well as the deep breathing, like how would you walk someone through kind of you know, creating some of that safety in the session. Yeah. So, you know, it, it all depends on, you know, what, what's coming up for the client, 
right? There's times where I've had clients who've had panic attacks in session and mm. we've actually, um, you know, through figuring out like when she's had panic attacks before, like, you know, what, what worked. And for her, it was laying down on the ground, like on her back, um, to just feel grounded. And so I got on the ground with her. We laid side by side and we just practiced breathing and she knew I was there with her, supporting her, wasn't going anywhere. And, you know, as clinicians, we use co-regulation. We get to be that steady person to kind of help co-regulate them back to this kind of sense of safety. There's times where, you know, I've gone out and done walk and talks with clients that felt claustrophobic in, um, in an office space. And so for me, cultivating safety was, um, well, let's do it. Let's get out of our box. Let's go for a walk. Let's get some fresh air. Let's, you know, get our bodies moving so that you can talk about the deep stuff that feels too intense to do eye to eye, you know, face to face with someone. So, you know, a lot of it can be just kind of breathing regulation. It can be doing things with them so they, they feel safe and supported. Um, and then sometimes it can just be calming your, your, your nervous system, whether that's through breathing, grounding. I teach them, um, I teach a lot of my clients finger breathing because it's what I use when I'm having panic attacks. Um, where you place like your thumb at your pinky and you start to, to breathe in as you slide your, your finger up, you press uh, some pressure at the tip. And then as you slide down, you exhale. And so your breathing gets deeper as you go to the longer fingers and it's a coping skill you can just kind of do. And it looks like you're just fidgeting. Yeah. Um, but I love uh, that. That's, that's beautiful. It's super grounding. And I'll do that with them. And you know, it's all about finding out what works. I heard, early on in my career uh, by a brilliant therapist who said, um, let's fail as fast as possible, mm. right? Let's get to what works. Let's try all the things. And if it fits, it fits. If it doesn't, chuck it. Let's move on. Let's not get stuck in what doesn't work. So I'm all about being flexible and creative and just trying to figure out what works for the individual and what they're going through. I love that. I love that. You know, it's, you know, we're growing as clinicians and it also, I think, speaks volumes when we're in the room with the client and they know, hey, we're, we're going to be trying some skills here and, and I've got a whole bag of them. And, and I think inside this, this uh, bag over here is something you can add to your toolkit. Right? And, mm -hmm. and uh, just FYI, I'll probably be stealing the, the finger breathing one for when I Do work it. Yeah. It works. <laughs> it works. I tell you, yeah, I, like that. I had my panic attacks that like brought me back. Oh, that's beautiful. You know, but I think gone also are the days, right? And if you're listening to this and you're maybe not a therapist and you just kind of were, were curious and you've listened this far, right? I think gone are the days of just sitting in a stuffy room with a therapist. You know, most of the, the most powerful clinicians that I know or have worked with, you know, are often taking their clients for walks. They're, they're getting out, right? They're doing things to be like active and actually put together plans, right? To, you know, like with really anxious, right? Kind of symptomology or things that are cropping up, like let's get out and create uh, a scaling plan to reduce this anxiety when you're out, right? And like really active clinicians these days where you're not just forced to sit there face to face and, and, uh, you know, dissociate, if you will, or just kind of <laughs> sit there and, and, and stare off into space. You know, you, you've got some options for some clinicians who you know, will help you move your body and, and, and help you experience some of your emotions in, in different ways that are really safe and really beneficial. 
Yeah. I, I think that's what therapy is all about. I don't think it's a one size fits all, you know, everything, you know, is, is different for every person and you'll have therapists who have certain, um, uh, schools of thinking, uh, and things like that. But honestly, it doesn't work for everybody. And so, you know, you have to adapt, you have to come up with these plans and it's not just like, Hey, let's go for a walk. Right. There's right, science right. behind it. There's science behind the connection between the left brain and the right brain and how things are moving and how you can process things like grief and anxiety, um, you know, through walking or through certain movements and breathing techniques. And so it's not just, you know, random it, yeah. there's science behind it and it's effective and it works. Yeah, you know, and, and, and that's part of it too, right? Is like when you're going in, you know, seeking therapy is like, hey, fi find someone like Sam was saying in the beginning that meets your needs, right? So like, is this person sitting and you guys are just kind of sitting there and, and you're not really sharing and it feels real uncomfortable, but neither of you are saying anything about it, that might be the wrong fit. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's a million different ways that therapy can look and a good therapist is going to, you know, I guess the cliche way of uh, saying it is meet you where you're at. Right. The mm -hmm. good clinician is mobile and flexible. Yeah. And, you know, we're all human and we're all learning and we're all growing. And I think it's it's up to us to check in with our clients. Right. To see that things are, are you know, how they're progressing, how they're experiencing the process. And, you know, to check in with ourselves as, as clinicians too, like, do we feel like, you know, things are, are going the way that um, is beneficial? Like, and it's, it's interesting because for a while there, um, I think you and I did like check-ins or little um, like sheets to fill out. Like, yeah. how did you feel after this session? Right. And right. some do, of the do most you hate me after this? <laughs> right. Do you still want to come back? <laughs> And like the things that I thought were powerful, you know, sometimes didn't resonate with the client and the things that I thought were just like, whatever, were some of the most powerful things to the clients. And so I think it's, it's, it's important as clinicians for us to check in, but it's also important as the client to, to speak up so that we can, you know, figure out what's working and what's not. Yeah. You know, and, and just to give some context too, and, and Sam, you correct me if I'm wrong about this, but what Sam's referring to is, is um, this check-in list that you can give a client at the beginning of the session. And uh, they're like surveys. So you get before and after the session, right? Like, what are you hoping to accomplish? And at the end of the session, there's like a checklist. Like, do you feel like you got what you needed? What did you like? What did you not like? Right? What feedback do you have for the therapist? So that you feel like you're bought into the goals and objectives that you're setting for your therapeutic journey. Mm-hmm. You still yeah. use those? Um, I do actually. <laughs> um, I, I use them. Um, I don't use them after every session. I do it like every other week. Um, and that was just, you know, from feedback. So I know that we're still on the same page together and that way I can tune into the therapeutic relationship, which I think is the most important thing. The most healing thing is the connection between you and your therapist. It's less about the tools and the tricks and things like that, but just truly feeling supported and, um, not judged and, you know, having this, um, open, warm hearted relationship with someone that doesn't have any expectations or needs. I think that's so powerful and you know, I like to check in with that to make sure that that's what we're cultivating. Yeah. You ever, uh, have you ever gotten one after a session and just had outrageous feedback on it? Like what the fuck? No. Is this <laughs> no? Darn it. <laughs> I 
have okay, stopped. Fine. Okay, However, fine. I'll I won't say never. It'll never happen because who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, you never know. Humans are humans are interesting. What What would you say then is like the most impactful thing you've ever read? Kind of from like a end of session feedback uh, that's been kind of written down or or requested or however you would process that. Like what's the most like impactful thing you've ever read on one of those? Um, it, it was towards the end of uh, someone's therapy. It was, we we're getting close to, to termination. And I remember reading that that person said that they've said things to me out loud that they never thought that, that they would feel safe enough to say. Mm. And that they felt um, like a weight was lifted yeah. and that they felt like I truly cared and truly wanted um, what was best for them and that they're going to, that they were going to kind of keep that as a treasured experience. And that is what means the world to me is when I can be that mirror. I can be that source of support for someone, you know, going back to this idea of tr trudging together through the trenches, right? Like it's not about how good a therapist I am. It's about, can I sit with this person when they're at their lowest and just be there with them and, you know, reflect things to them and, and just kind of be that, that extra light. And, you know, to me, that's been reflected back as like the most powerful experience someone has had in therapy. And I think it's the most powerful experience of therapy. Yeah. You know, and what a, what a powerful message to, to send out, right. Is that's really what this process is all about is finding that safe space where you can express the things, you know, that you felt like you never, you know, had been able to share with anyone before. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just kind of giving that space. Right. And, and, hearing you share that too, Sam, and walking with you in, in this process as a clinician, right? It's, it's something I've, I've witnessed, you know, patients share with you time and time again. And, you know, it's, it's partly why I, you know, gravitate to you and bring you in on, on the things that we're doing. And in, in this podcast, I wanted to have you on as the first one, just, you know, cause I, I, like I was saying in the beginning, like I respect your work and clients are obviously finding benefit from working with you. And I, I think more people just need to hear these messages. They need to know, what clinicians are out there, who these people are, what inspires them and, and, and the work that they're doing. So I, I think it's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. You know, I, I want people to know that therapy is not just stuffy old people who don't understand what <laughs> you've been through, right? It's yeah. people who use humor. It's people that use things that are a little out of the box and feel a little silly. It's people that, you know, are just other humans on the journey of life together. And, um, you know, it's this, this sense of support. And, and I love that I have found other clinicians that have that same dream, that same goal, that same presence. And uh, it just, it feels really cool. And yeah. so I feel so, so thankful that, you know, you and I have met and that you and I have, um, you know, stayed in contact and stayed connected because I think people like that are, are just so important to our field. For sure. For sure. There's a new wave coming, right? Yes. I, I think the old one is, it's dying out because I, I think bunch like anything else, it's not that it didn't work. It's not that it didn't set the foundation, but it doesn't work for current times, right? Like the old archaic ways research is proving like, hey, clients aren't connecting to those old ways anymore, right? They want to move. They want to be able to connect in, in, in a little bit of a different way. They want to be able to share in different ways. And, 
and some of these new modalities like a, you know like somatic experiencing and psychodrama mm-hmm. and um, you know different uh, adaptations of CBT right the cognitive behavioral therapy that's now becoming like you know more you know geared towards like trauma treatments as well as right anxiety treatments like some of these more let's move and shake kind of modalities yeah. I think are really beneficial you know and like like we were touching on there right it's not all therapists are old and gray and wrinkly right it's it, no. there's a whole new wave it's it's you and me it's you and me we're out there yes. the it. youngins ish yeah. right <laughs> yeah I mean you know in the field we're the kids you know God bless yeah. and you know it, it it's uh it's a good new wave I think yeah you know, just like with anything else, it, it'll need to be cultivated and, and people will need to step to the forefronts. And I think part of that too, and, and I'd love to hear your take on this is, is society is, is going to have to step up to the plate and kind of start to challenge some of the narratives as well that exist around this negative stigma. It's one thing for us to have a conversation about it um, and to do that week in and week out. But I think society is going to have to step up to the plate too and abdicate for themselves. Yeah, I mean, this uh, pandemic has brought so much attention to mental health in general, right? Because it's affecting everybody. And, you know, that's something you and I have always known, right? Mental health is an everybody issue, not just, you know, people with disorders or, or things like that, right? Mental health is something we all have to take care of. And so I think that there are moments in our culture that really show just how much we need to be taking care of mental health and that it shouldn't be stigmatized, right? You know, it it shouldn't be something that people are afraid to access, you know, for fear of judgment or, you know, uh, you know, whatever else their fears might be telling them. I think even though this is, you know, a terrible time for many, it's, it's a, it's a good time for mental health and for people to, to take it seriously and, and not judge it. Yeah. Now's as good a time as any to reach out to therapists and, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you've been thinking like, wow, I, I really want to reach out to a therapist and, and you've been hearing Sam share and you're like, wow, I really like her message. I'll have her contact information in the description of this podcast so you can reach out to her. And, and if you're on the fence and you're looking for a therapist who's going to meet you where you're at, I would highly, highly suggest Samantha Grimes. I think she'll, she'll do uh, what, what, what she needs to do to meet you where you're at. And I, I, I just confident that you'll have a good experience if you do reach out to her for a good old therapy session. Bring it. Come on <laughs> over. Try it out. <laughs> so, you know, one, one of the things I always like to ask, right, and, and this is, call me selfish, but it's, it's uh, for my takeaways as well, but also for anyone who's listening, what is, if you had to choose one book in this field that, you know, in, in mental health or self-help or, or just in general, right? If it, even if it's like fiction and it's something that really, really inspired you to do this work, what would that book be? Mm, what a great question. I'd have to say Irving Yalom's Love's Executioner. Oh my goodness. Yeah, because he's he's just such a phenomenal clinician and um he talks about different stories different therapy sessions with different clients and i think it just kind of validated the human centric work that I always knew therapy could be and should be. Mm. And it was less about, you know, techniques and tricks. And it was all about, you know, his open connection with these clients and 
working through their issues. And I just I love the gentleness and the curiosity that he brought to it. So uh, that definitely inspired me. And I remember reading that from uh, early on in my career uh, and just being like, yep, I feel validated. This is where I want to be. This is the kind of work I want to do. Yeah, I read his uh, Gifts of imp Is it? No, it's uh, what is the one that uh, has the window on the Is it the, the Gift cover? of Therapy? I think so. The Gift of Therapy. Yeah. And, um, and after reading that book, like I just I ran out and bought all of his published work. Like this guy, you know, just cuts through the bullshit, you know, yeah. but, but I only read the first couple pages of Love's Executioner and I see it on my bookshelf over here. I'm going to have to crack that open now that, that you've suggested that as your inspiration or a book that would inspire you in this field. Mm -hmm. Another one, I'm just going to throw it out there because I love Esther Perel, Mating in Captivity. Oh. So good. If you're looking to explore relationship dynamics and, and um, the cultivation of the erotic um, it's, and desire, it's really, really great. So just throw yeah. that in there because I've been listening to her podcast. <laughs> nice. Yeah, she's, she's straight up. She is. I love you know, it. She just tells it like it is and you know, like it or hate it, agree with it or disagree with it. She, she's got an approach that's hard not to listen to, right? Cause mm -hmm. she approaches it, you know, direct, but compassionately, like you were saying earlier. Yeah. Cool. Well, Sam, it has been an honor to have you on this podcast and I hope we can do this again sometime. I imagine we will. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Anytime. I loved having you, or I loved having you have me. <laughs> I loved being on it. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. All righty. Well, that, that is it. And thank you for listening to our first episode here. Stay tuned. Uh, we'll be interviewing other clinicians and life coaches in the weeks to come and other mental health professionals in the field. If you are a mental health professional yourself and you would like to come on and share a little bit about your inspiration and why you uh, have gone in this direction of helping others, uh, feel free to reach out and uh, we'll get you on for an interview. Thank you very much. Have a great day.